Move group two, the Louisville group, um, we have a focus on multicultural Louisville. And talking about all the different cultures and ethnicities in Louisville, we kind of came up, um, the issue came up of, of human trafficking. And we realized that a lot of people probably don't know um, what it is, why it's a problem, um, things like that. I personally did not know until um, last January. I went to a conference called Passion. Some of you might have heard of it. It's for college students, and we've sent a group from here before. Um, I know my sister went, but I was too young. I went with my church in Lexington, and this was the entire focus of the conference. Um, and from that point on, I've kind of been, um, I don't know, focused in on this problem because uh, I had pretty much ignored it before because I didn't really know much about it. So I'm hoping today to explain to you guys what exactly human trafficking is, um, some different types, um, some myths and misconceptions about it, and then what you all can do um, as church members here in Louisville, Kentucky, to help this um, global problem, which sometimes it's when we deal with global issues, um, it's hard to see what we can do. So I'm going to try and help bridge that gap this morning. So uh, if you all go on this journey with me. So, first of all, human trafficking is, by definition, slavery. Uh, first of all, can everyone see? Like, is it, do we need to turn off the lights? Your computer is in the way. Is there any way to... slavery. Um, we think slavery here in America, and we, we go back to Civil War times, and um, we think of African slaves, but um, actually slavery right now is a huge problem in this world, and what is surprising to most people, and what was really surprising to me, is that the fact that there are more slaves today, right now, in this world, as we sit here, than any other time in recorded history. Um, slavery is not dead. It is alive and well and it is a problem. Um, so here, just to kind of give you an idea of the scope of this issue, I've got some statistics here. Um, 27 million is uh, the estimated number of people in the world who are enslaved. Um, kind of as a perspective, that's the population of Florida and Georgia combined, or the population of like the New York City metropolitan area. So if you can just think of how many people are in that, you know, those pretty large places and think that there are that many people that, as we speak, um, who are enslaved around the world. And um, $90 is, you know, about how much you would pay for like a nosebleed seat at like a major league baseball game. Uh, that's about the average price that a person is sold for every day um, in the world. Um, $90, that's like couple tanks of gas is the value that people put on a human life. Um, so that's, it's kind of shocking. And it, this is a, a global problem. Um, about a, it's estimated that about 161 countries are involved, either as sources or um, destinations or transit areas um, of slaves being in traffic different places, and uh, including the United States. There are about 
as I said, that 17,500 slaves annually trafficked into the U.S. So on our home soil here, 17,500 people every year are brought in as slaves. And what's really kind of sickening about that is the average age of these people. Um, it's 14 years old is the average age, um, which that just really breaks my heart. And um, 80% of these, these 27 million are women and 50% are children. Um, but it can happen to anyone, uh, men, women, children, old, young, um, every walk of life. And it is the second largest um, illegal industry in the world. First is illegal arms. Second is human trafficking. It brings in about $32 billion a year. Um, that's, that's more than um, the revenue of Google, to put that in perspective. That's more than Google makes, and they make a lot of money. Um, so $32 billion coming from the exploitation of human beings every year. Um, and a hundred, or, um, approximately a million children each year are sold into slavery, and that's about um, two every minute. Um, so while I'm giving this presentation, there are, are hundreds of children around the world who are being um, stripped from their families, lured away from their homes, um, giving prom given promises of a better life, and um, are becoming slaves as a result. Um, so basically, when I talk about slavery, this is what I mean. It's uh, when one person has complete control over another person, usually using violence of some sort, either physical or psychological, or the threat of violence, um, to keep control over that person, exploit them to get money, um, give them none of it, and they can't get away. That's kind of what um, has been defined um, as slavery. So that's what I mean when I talk about it. And there are three main kinds. Um, the first would be bonded labor, which is one of the most widely used uh, forms. Um, and it's a person becomes a bonded labor um, when they're working to pay off a loan. Um, but the way the system is set up is um, pretty much the loan is impossible to pay off. The interest is higher than they, they can earn in a day, and they are therefore enslaved for life. Um, and usually their children and grandchildren um, are also enslaved. So that's why there's such a huge number, because families will get sucked into this um, through exploiting um, economic vulnerability. Uh, um, extreme cases have been reported in, like, in Pakistan where laborers were like found chained together and, um, and under armed guards. So basically reminiscent of um, our own unfortunate history when we think of slavery. That's still going on um, today, which is sad to think about. And um, so the, the next kind is forced labor, which... It's kind of um, similar, but it's just it's works or services that people are forced to do um, against their will and under some form of punishment. Um, so they're not trying to pay off a debt, but there's some sort of control there um, that they can't get away. Um, it's mostly found in like labor-intensive, like under-regulated industries, like agriculture, definitely um, a lot of agriculture, like fishing, domestic work, like maids. Um, construction, mining, manufacturing, um, and then prostitution and sexual exploitation. Um, 
and there's a high incidence um, of forced labor used in about 29 countries um, to produce 50 products consumed or used on a daily basis um, here in this country. Um, and that's, it's really uh, sad to think about things such as just like clothes, shoes, toys, bricks, cotton, um, cocoa and chocolate, <laughs> carpets, things like that. Um, about 29 countries worth of slaves um, go into those about 50 products. Um, now, the type that I'm going to mainly focus on today is specifically human trafficking. Um, and this is involves transporting people um, from their communities um, where they live and forcing them to work against their will using violence, um, deception, or coercion of some kind. Um, it's tied with the illegal arms industry, actually, um, and is the second one. And it's also, it's the fastest growing um, global industry, basically, um, which is, is mind-blowing to think. Um, the majority of victims, I'll go into more detail about this later, but they're between about 18 and 24 years of age. Um, this is a lot, this includes a lot of your um, sex trafficking, uh, forced prostitution, things of that nature. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to largely focus on this type today. Um, and there are two primary factors of why this kind of things exists. Um, why, you know, why people would take human beings um, and exploit them for profit. It's because it's high profit. Um, there's a lot of money in this. Like I said, $32 billion. Um, you can and buy a slave for about $90 and you can make profit off of them for their, the rest of their life and not pay them a cent. Um, and so it's very um, economically alluring um, to people. And also, um, it's low risk. Um, and uh, it's a market-driven, like, criminal industry. Um, it's, it's driven by heavy demand, unfortunately, um, which is fueled by several different things. Um, just the uh, underrepresentation of women or mistreatment of women in, in cultures, um, widespread um, just um, accepting of like objectifying people, uh, porn use actually contributes to a lot to the demand um, for sex trafficking, unfortunately. Um, and so I want to talk a little bit about um, the victims here um, of human trafficking. There's, uh, as defined like under U.S. law, um, there's like three different populations of victims. It's children under 18, um, induced in a commercial sex, and then adults age 18 or over who are induced using force, fraud, or coercion, and then um, children and adults used to perform labor. So kind of like I was saying, those, those different kinds. But um, an interesting fact about victims of trafficking, a particularly um, at-risk group is... Um, homeless and runaway teenagers. Um, and Jeanette pointed out to me actually this morning, she found that um, one in seven teenagers um, are runaways. Um, they were run away from home. And one out of three of those, or um, most actually, are approached um, about, um, I guess, the opportunity, if you can call it that, um, to enter prostitution within 24 hours of being on the street. 
and one of three will be lured into prostitution within 48 hours of running away. Um, so that is a, a huge issue um, that they're targeting um, our youth um, who are vulnerable because vulnerable, um, they've ran away from home. Now, on the other side, the traffickers, um, they, they lure um, and entice people in, usually um, by manipu- like intense manipulation. They uh, find people who have a need, a very strong need, and they exploit that uh, by giving them hope of a better life, uh, hope of a job, hope of a better job or a stable home life or... Um, or a, like a loving relationship. A lot of times, um, especially with the runaway teen situation, um, a, a man will come up to a young woman who's just run away and um, basically woo her and to and make her think that he's protecting her. And then slowly he begin, becomes abusive and um, forces her into um, commercial sex. And that bond had already developed and. Through the abuse, um, it's it's very hard um, to get out of that relationship. So there's a lot of um, psychological ma- manipulation involved um, and exploitation of a lot of vulnerabilities. Uh, sometimes they just kidnap people or uh, use violence um, to to get them um, under their control. And, it, and traffickers can be just individuals or it can be a, um, a massive criminal network. Um, honestly, there are, you think of, uh, usually you think of like drug cartels with having like large networks, but the same sort of thing happens with human beings. Um, so today I'm going to go over some, I've got to think six myths and misconceptions that you might have heard, or you might think about human trafficking. And we're going to talk about, um, what the reality of the situation is. Um, the first one is that it must involve some form of travel, transportation, or movement across borders. Um, but that's not necessarily true. It's Although that's um, involved a lot of the times, um, it, human trafficking is not the same as forced migration, migration or smuggling, which is also um, slavery. It's, it's more... accurately characterized as um, like compelled service um, where an individual's will is overborne by force um, coercion or violence and um, so it it doesn't even have to be taking someone out of their community um, which is is a common misconception people think human trafficking they think smuggling over borders and things and that but it's not limited to that The second is that traffic persons can only be foreign nationals or immigrants from other countries. Um, like I've already said, youth in our own streets um, are being brought into human trafficking. And it's not just um, those 17,500 people being brought into the U.S. Um, there are people in the U.S. Um, and, and in their home countries who are being um, trafficked. And uh, let's see. So... Uh, the next one is that all victims of sex trafficking are female minors. That tends to be um, the thought process. You think of sex trafficking, you think of a younger girl um, who's being exploited, and a lot of times that is the case. Um, but there's a growing number of um, women, boys, and men um, that are also being exploited just due to um, 
dire economic conditions, those, those things I said that, that make them just really vulnerable. And it, it can be um, anyone of any age, gender, um, and because they, they base it based on vulnerability, not based on, you know, the person themselves because they're not a person to them. Um, and this is a big one. Um, that is kind of working through our, our legislature in the United States of kind changing this mindset that if a person consented to their initial situation, was informed about what type of labor they would be doing or knew that commercial sex would be involved, then it's not trafficking. Um, so this would be thinking like um, if someone willingly goes into um, prostitution and then because of some economic need or because of a perceived loving relationship, things like that, and then are abused and, and trafficked, that that's not trafficking, that, oh, they got themselves in that situation, but um, that is no less trafficking than anything else. And um, a big thing, like I said, in the legislature are these safe harbor laws, um, which just passed in Kentucky within this year, um, and it, it treats, um, like, when police go in and they raid, like, um, such a, like a brothel or something, um, Instead of being treated as criminals, um, minors and those who were um, trafficked in as minors are now treated as victims and not criminals. These girls would see police come in, arrest their traffickers, think they were being rescued, and then be taken to a jail cell. Um, Worse. Um, so, like I said, that recently was passed in Kentucky, so that's really awesome. Um, sorry. All right, another myth is that there must be some sort of like physical restraint or force or like bondage with a trafficking trafficking situation. Um, but a lot of it, like I said, is psychological. Um, a lot of times, they are not bound physically, um, but there's threats of violence to them to their families, um, um, and abuse of the legal process as well. Thank you. Um, sometimes people have ways of, they will promise a job, um, say, okay, like, give me all your paperwork, and I'll, I'll file it, and then we'll get you working. They hand over passport, security, social security card, everything. There's, those are stripped from them, and they no longer have an identity. Um, so that, those sort of things, um, kind of keep someone in the situation that they're in because they have no other way to earn money or, um, stay alive really because they're not earning money. But, um, the last myth that I've got is that, that victims of human trafficking will immediately ask for help or assistance, um, or will identify themselves as victims. Like I said, the majority of the force or coercion is psychological, um, and part of that is convincing them that um, either this is what they deserve or it's similar to like an abusive relationship. Um, the, the victims kind of either see they deserve it, they got themselves there, or that they have no other option. Um, and so uh, they, they either have a lack of trust in 
whether, whether it be cops or whoever's trying to help them, there's a lack of trust there. So they say, no, like I'm here um, on my own will because they're, you know, the last time they trusted someone who was trying to help them didn't end well. So, um, so there's a lot of that. And then, or self-blame, they just, they feel like they're at fault. Again, like I said, parallels to kind of a abuse, abusive relationships. Um, or just um, training, basically brainwashing by tra- traffickers um, to make them believe that um, they're, are they pro- they're, are their property. Um, so this is why it's really, really critical that law enforcement gets training on these things um, to look for the signs and, um, and for like social service providers and even community members like you guys to know the signs of human trafficking because they can't always get help. They won't always look for help um, because sometimes the psychological bondage is just so strong. Um, so that's one thing I'm going to do with you guys today is give you some signs of what to look for. But um, basically, like, here I've got... Let me give you kind of an idea of this problem around the world of relevant. Here I've got an article about migrant workers being smuggled across from um, Mexico City and it's a billion dollar business and they got a picture here of um, probably about 50 people smashed into a tractor trailer um, bringing over from Mexico to uh, work on farms um, for no pay Um, I actually got a story in here that I'll I'll share with you later if we have time about um, someone specifically who was in that situation but like, also we we see we have stories from China, um, like the Mediterranean area, Greece. We've got you know in the in Pakistan and in India, out in San Antonio. But if we look closer right here, this one's in Louisville, Kentucky. This was on this story was on Wave Three News within this year. This is not yet. Yeah, um, this is a different one. But yeah, there were more. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think that one is actually, I've got a newspaper article on that. But yeah, this, this is not just a global problem. This is in our backyard. This is our neighbors. This is our children. This is our friends. Um, here we had um, a massage parlor set up in an industrial area. And community members, just like you all, noticed, hey, that's a little weird to have a massage parlor in the middle of an industrial area. Maybe I should check it out. And they noticed that people were only coming in and leaving at certain days, at certain times of the day, and that um, that they never saw workers leave at night. Um, and so they let the authorities know, and the people responsible are now in jail. Um, but this is just to show you that this is this is a relevant problem for us. Um, if it, if it doesn't register with you just on a human level, if the statistics are just too big and you can't wrap your hand, head around it, think about these girls in Louisville. There was, like Becca was saying, there was um, a bus just down the street a couple of years ago um, of people involved in sex, tra- sex trafficking. Here I've got a story of um, Kentucky sites where they found brothels that says included or J-Town and Newburgh. So this is this is right here, right now, um, and it's it's all of our, our problems to deal with. Um, so 
I want to kind of give you a look at where Kentucky stands as far as legislation. I told you a little bit, a little bit about the safe harbor law already. Um, and then areas um, where we need some improvement. So that's when I'll ask you guys to, to step in. And um, yeah, so we've got um, on the ratings, there's a rating system, uh, a um, organization called Polaris Project who has a hotline, which I'll, I'll talk to you all about. Um, they do ratings of each of the states of how um, they address trafficking from a, a state level um, in laws. And we actually are a 9 of 10. So out of, um, out of the U.S., we're, we're doing pretty good, and I'm really grateful for that. But we've still got some places we can improve, and, um, and definitely there are places that really um, that don't have most of these things that would seem um, almost... I don't know, common sense. But um, so there's, you know, sex trafficking and labor trafficking suits that just describe what they are, define what they are, and define punishments for them. Um, training for law enforcement, like I said, to recognize signs um, of when someone is actually being held as a slave. Um, and also, this one's a big one. For minor victims of sex trafficking, there doesn't have to be force or coercion or fraud involved they don't you don't have to prove that the burden of proof is taken off those children so that they so that it's much easier for them to get through the legal system and get out of that situation because in the legal system in the u.s it's a lot of um time and and bureaucracy and it takes a lot of money and so putting that burden on um children who are in sex trafficking to have to prove that there was fraud involved um often prevents them from being saved um, successfully, so that's really important. And then victim assistance as well, actually um, helping them find somewhere to live, helping them get a job after they're rescued. Um, so things like this that we are doing great. Um, things that we need to maybe work on is that we do not actually have anyone. We have training for law enforcement, but we don't have um, a task force for it, um, which has proven to be very effective in other places and. Um, people who it's their job to find slaves and to rescue them here in Kentucky. Um, so that would be awesome to see. And also um, just uh, like a widespread distribution of the hotline number that I'm going to tell you all about. Um, the hotline, I might as well just go ahead and tell you about it. Um, Polaris Project, the organization that rates the states that I was telling you about, they have set up a hotline where anyone can call in tips about anything that they think is suspicious that could be involved with human trafficking. Um, if you look at your little resource sheet I gave you, the number is on there. I probably didn't make it as clear as I should have, but um, the hotline number is on there. If you got a phone, cell phone, get it out, put it in there right now, because um, I'm going to be going over with you signs of things to look for, and that way if you see anything <laughs> suspicious, you always have that number there. You can help those people out. Um, and also... Um, it's good to post these things up. Um, a group that works in conjunction with the Polaris Project is a group called Truckers for Trafficking, um, which Bob told me about, that does a lot of work with, um, there's a lot of sex trafficking that goes on at um, truck stops and things that, of that nature um, to take advantage of the demand that comes from that. And um, this group, they um, go around and they, 
they post up this hotline number in truck stops so that when truckers see it, they know they can recognize what it is and they can get these girls help. Or if girls go in to, you know, the truck stop gas station or whatever and see this in the bathroom, that they can text that number and, you know, possibly be rescued. So it's a really big deal to get this number out, um, to get it in hotels, like I said, truck stops, restaurants, everywhere. Um, so I might have us, I might have some of you all help me do some of that one time um, to get that number out. But just make sure you note that that's there and uh, tell all your friends about it, put it in your phone, put it on Facebook, whatever. Um, so here's what you all can do. First of all, be aware, which you're doing that right now. <laughs> so I thank you for being here. I thank you for caring about these people enough to learn about their problem. Um, and also look out for the warning signs that I'm going to go over with you in the lives of people around you when you're just doing things on an everyday basis um, to have that, that second lookout for, um, for these signs in people's lives. Also, tell other people. I, if I just told you all this and you learned it, that's awesome. But if I told you, you learn it, and you tell like five other people, that's even better. It's kind of like the discipleship idea. Like um, awareness of this problem is a huge issue. A lot of people don't know this is a problem. And nothing can be done with just awareness, but nothing can be done until we are aware of the problem. Um, so tell everybody. <laughs> and I've given, that's why I've given you the resource page. So you can learn more about it and you can share things with others. And if you have any questions about anything on the resource page... Feel free to ask anyone in our move group. If we don't know the answer, we can find the answer for you. Um, so I wanted to make sure to give you plenty of opportunities to find out more um, if you were interested. Also, yes, it's got the hotline number on that. Yes. So yeah, I guess I'll, oh, I didn't have that on here. One of the things I forgot was buy fair trade products. Yeah. So um, one way to support um, victims and to prevent the problem is to buy a fair trade. It is a little more expensive because the people have to pay their workers. Um, but I, I think it's a good investment. Um, like she said, we're handing out some, some fair trade chocolate and coffee are big ones. There's a lot of slave labor involved in those two things. Um, and so there's a little logo for fair trade. It's kind of like the organic logo um, that you can see on products. That um, They have certain standards that they have to meet to put that on there, saying that they didn't use um, slave labor and things like that. Uh, so that's a great way to um, support and help the problem. Another way is to contact your representatives. Um, it's America. We can call people up and say, hey, this is what I care about, and you should care about it too, or I won't vote for you. So that's what we're about. <laughs> so call up your representatives. Um, try and get those things done in Kentucky that we're still lacking. Try and um, get things done at the federal level that, because um, there are some states that had maybe three of the things on that list, um, and people are suffering because of it. Uh, so use your democratic um, citizenship 
for the good of people. Um, also, yeah, keep the number for the hotline in your phone and spread the word about it. Also, invest in the lives of at-risk um, groups. I was talking about um, youth, you know, that are runaways. Um, find an underprivileged youth center and invest in kids' lives. And believe it or not, that helps the problem of human trafficking. There are literally endless possibilities of things you could do. It's just finding where, um, where you can use your gifts to help out this problem. Um, so here are some signs that you can look out for of signs that um, someone is in slavery, actually. They're not free to come and go as they wish. Um, if they're you know, held in the house at certain times or are only let out um, under a certain schedule, things like that. If they're unpaid, paid very little or paid only with tips. Um, you'll see that sometimes even restaurant workers um, will be slaves, um, and that's a lot more common than we think, or um, hotel maids, things like this. Um, has few or no personal possessions, because that um, would be a way of controlling them. Is not in control of his or her own money, um, owes a large debt and can't pay it off, like I was talking about that bonded labor, um, is recruited through false promises, so was promised a good job, was promised a new life, um, things like that. High security measures, if it looks like they're um, being kept from leaving or being kept from doing certain things, that's a little suspicious. Um, and then signs of abuse, obviously, um, physical, sexual, emotional. Um, and then, of course, anyone under 18 who's providing so much to sex act is always considered trafficking. Um, so here are some of the um, organizations that are on your resource sheet, um, just, I call them abolitionists because they're at work in the world right now to, um, to help out, um, those who are enslaved. So that's just a little bit, um, about each one. Like I said, those are all on your resource sheet. Um, so, um, I guess I'll go ahead and open it up for questions at this point, but that's about all I had. Um, so does anyone have any questions for me? Cricket? Um, just kind of like, um, in your everyday life, like in a neighborhood, like if you see, uh, one of the signs I didn't put on there actually, like if there's a house with like really high privacy fence that's pointed inward instead of outward, that's usually meant to keep someone in. Um, and it sounds strange, like it wouldn't happen here, but you would be surprised. Um, and so just mainly like in neighborhoods, you, you just notice what your neighbors are doing. Um, notice who is going in and out of the house, who, um, whether it looks like, I mean, there was a story recently where those girls were being kept in that house for forever. Just keeping an eye out for things like this. They may not be in your neighborhood, but just when you're driving around. Or like I said, in businesses, if you notice that, uh, if you notice any of these little signs in the workers, um, it might be a good thing to ask questions or, or to, to call that hotline. Um, so yeah, I said hotel maids are a big one, um, restaurant workers sometimes, but a lot of times it's just, um, or if, especially like downtown, you'll see a lot of the sex trafficking activity. Because um, uh, actually one thing I forgot to mention that's really interesting, let me see if I can find it real quick, is the amount of, uh, oh yeah, here it is, talking about uh, 5,000 women and girls are trafficked and raped for profit every year in Atlanta alone. Um, so big metropolitan areas, a.k.a. Louisville, 
um, has a lot of this problem, especially um, around big events. So around the Derby, girls will be brought in um, for that. So just, you know, like around big events, just being, being open for the signs wherever you are is really the, the key because um, it can happen anywhere. It's kind of hard to specifically talk about where you just, um, but if you know what to look for, you'll know when you see it kind of thing. So did I answer your question? Uh, great job, by the way. What is the uh, state uh, punishment for human trafficking? What, like, years in prison, I'm not sure of the specific number, um, honestly, because I think it changed recently. Um, but I'll, I'll get that. I'll get that for you. I'm sure it, it's not hard to find, but yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. I, I don't know the exact number. <laughs> yeah. What are your slides that said the convictions? I think that was before the safe harbor law. Um, so basically undoing those who were unjustly put away um, before that was enacted. Um, some states, once they enacted the safe harbor law, they said anyone who fits this description who was previously convicted um, is vacated, but we don't do that. So so you're talking like the girls that were taken yes. and then put in a jail cell? Yes, are now before the law was passed, yeah, yes. are still probably in jail. <laughs> so, yeah. On the downside... <laughs> And this is something we all kind of share in. Unintended consequences. The United Nations has recently been doing a lot of research, but as a nation, when we grow globally the idea of not working with companies around the world that employ children, yeah. we forced lots of kids into this because where they could go to work, making Nike shoes mm-hmm. or whatever. And now that's kind of being obliterated in many places. Those poor families had, in many cases, no choice but to either let that child go out on the street on its own, or they were sold into slavery. Mm-hmm. And that was really a real wake-up to trying to do the best for people, but not understanding how poverty oh, works yeah. at that level in the world. And we contributed a lot to this, yeah. trying to do the right thing. Yeah. And that's really sad. Yeah, and actually, some people argue that <coughs> child labor is a good thing because places, because yeah. But I actually I was reading a book um, called "Where Am I Wearing?" and it's this guy who he liked to travel and he was a journalist. So one day he looked at his shirt and it said "Made in Bangladesh," and he's like, "I'm going to go try and find where my shirt was made and meet the person who made my shirt." And he just did that for all his clothes. So he went around trying to find the people who made his clothes and. Um, and uh, he talked to, to people about that issue um, because he, he said that a lot of people brought that up to him that, you know, these children you know, need these jobs. These women need these jobs um, because there's nothing else for them to do. Like, it's empowering women, uh, people, some people argue, which it seems like that would be logically correct. But he said, like, once he was talking to these families and things, um, while it, it seems to empower them and that they do have a job, it like the bigger picture. It's it kind of continues the cycle of poverty in the nation. So it's it's really tricky because on one level it looks like okay yeah you're giving that woman a job that you know that single mom who has four kids in Bangladesh who didn't have a job before and now she's making seventeen dollars a week that's better. Um, but then because that's happening 
largely the economy of Bangladesh is being subjected again to the cycle of poverty. So it's really tricky. Like you said, when we're trying to help, we have to really understand um, as far as like the federal level um, what the problem is. But yeah, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. Is there some kind of app I can download on my phone to talk about fair trade? There is. I forgot. Yes. Um. <laughs> Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> That's a plan. Uh, that was. Uh, I forgot about it. She told me to remind her. <laughs> so I was talking about um, fair trade things. One way, because. You know, I said clothes and coffee and things are made by slave. Well, how am I supposed to know if what I'm buying was made by slave labor? Well, um, there's actually, there's a website called um, Made in a Free World. And you can go on there and, and it asks you questions about your lifestyle and the kind of things you buy. And um, it's very humbling. It will tell you the number of slaves who work for you. Uh, very bluntly. Um, mine was 19. <laughs> to, be, to be open. Yeah. Um, so that was a really big eye opener for me. What was that website again? Made in a Free World. That's on your um should be on your resource sheet. Is it? Okay, yeah. But the app is um called it's called Free to Work. Um, and that that is on there as well. I think I mentioned the app. Um, but you can you can scan. It's got like a little barcode scanner. So I'll come up here. Oh, never mind. I gotta log in. Never mind. It's got a barcode scanner. So when you're in the store and you're about to buy something, you can just scan the barcode real quick, and it'll tell you a letter grade for the company on how transparent they are about their policies, um, how how on hands-on they are in their supply chain. Do they know where their stuff is coming from? And if they don't, um, then it's most likely because they don't want to know for legal reasons. Um, so... And if they do, are they doing something about the problem? So that's a really helpful. If you have a smartphone, that's helpful because you can use that in the store um, to kind of figure out, to guide your buying decisions so that you can use your everyday purchases as a way to help out this problem. What so. was free to work. And that's on there as well, should be. And two, free to is the number. Yeah. Hmm? When you talk about child labor, mm -hmm. you think about China. Uh, Japan, uh -huh. uh, they put these kids in there, I wonder, uh, probably about 15 years old. And they, I mean, they work them 10 hours a day to yeah. make your clothes. Often longer, and, yeah. And everything. And mm -hmm. I've been there. Yeah. And I've seen the kids who are not on the street, and they're out working. Mm -hmm. And mom might be on the street. Yeah. Yeah. He's just talking about how he's been to China and seen um, these children who, as young as you know, seven, nine, um, being forced to work for long, long days, fourteen-hour days, um, for sometimes just pennies. Um, but yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Something else too, like uh, World Vision, maybe uh, mm -hmm. sponsored children to World Vision, and that helps this whole cycle too because the, the kid gets the education. Uh, yeah, you know, definitely. Trade, something, something good they can work on it keeps them out of this cycle. Yeah. Um, so that's real important. But they also go into the neighborhood or the community where that child is, and they start building up that community. Yeah. It's not just for a family. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. 
And that's another thing that you guys are familiar with, the Worldcraft, where we've had these Worldcraft parties. Um, some of those had like a little logo saying that the money went toward um, sex trafficking or human trafficking, I guess, um, not that specific. But so there, there are companies that do this. Um, Jeanette has information on a company who um, like employs, I believe, survivors um, and gives them a way to earn money. And there's things, different things like that. One of the products I have on your sheet, Rebel Tonic, they're kind of um, new in the idea that they are a for-profit business to fund a nonprofit. basically. They make this drink. They get all their ingredients from... Um, they're trying to prevent human trafficking. So the neighborhoods that they found, the countries that they found that were um, the source of a lot of these because of a, a bad economy, they're getting their um, ingredients from there. They're getting their raw materials from there to stimulate that economy. And then after they make their drink and they sell it, they give that money um, toward human trafficking, education, prevention, um, and rescuing in those countries. So that, that sort of thing is great. It gets me really excited because I'm a finance person, and I think that's cool. But <laughs> so yeah, there's also, like I said, there's all sorts of different options you can look into. And again, if you have any questions.